0: Again, everybody, and welcome back to Random Discard. I am Clues, one of your faithful hosts, and joining me, as always, is Rich. Rich, how are you? Doing pretty good. That is good to hear, sir. That is good to hear. We have passed the deepest, darkest parts of winter, and we are careening towards spring uh, eventually, someday. Not, not today. Still, still pretty cold and, and dreary right now.
1: I haven't seen the sun in days. Yeah. So I was excited. Because I found out that Clues also plays Overwatch on the PlayStation 4 yesterday, oh. and that that excites me because we have a game we can play together again.
0: That is true. We absolutely do. Uh, so yeah, I started playing Overwatch relatively recently. Uh, I've got a group of buddies who I play Destiny with. And of course, we're in kind of a, let's describe it as a content lull. Let's be generous, call it a content lull in Destiny right now. And so several of them are like, eh, let's try Overwatch. And man, did they get into Overwatch. And so now it's hard to get them to play Destiny. Uh, although last night we did Sherpa a guy through his uh, Perfect Raider trophy um, so that we could uh, we could do that. Um,
1: I get it, though. I mean, for me, Overwatch is pretty addictive because just, it's just 10 minutes is all you really need.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, I'm still new to it. It is early times for me, so I don't yet have a favorite hero. I don't yet have a favorite map. Uh, I, I don't even know what some of the heroes do. When I bring them up, I actually have to hit the little button to figure out what their abilities are, or I just shoot at the wall for a while. Either one works uh, just yeah. fine. Um So you know, I'm I'm getting used to it. Uh, I do like that it's a bit more fast paced uh, than some things, and that it's
1: real. It's really a fast paced, which is nice.
0: And that you can literally just play it for 10 minutes uh, and then move on. Um, now, at, yeah. at the same time, uh, f- boy, some people are really good at that game.
1: And I am not. You you, you get better. Yeah. It just seems that way because it's daunting. But once you start understanding how the maps work and how to push properly and what your hero should be doing. Because every hero has effective range where they're the best at. Mm-hmm. And every hero, like, you know, if you're Reaper, you should always be flanking. If you're a soldier, you don't need to flank, you can stay from a distance. Yeah. If you're a roadhog, you can be right in their face, it doesn't matter. That you can. Everyone's got effective ranges. And once you start learning that, like, when I first started, I couldn't play Tracer to save my life. I never knew where I was, I was dead, but now I can actually play Tracer to a pretty effective standard. Once you start learning the game and learning what they're supposed to be doing, it gets a lot easier. It's just a learning curve.
0: Yeah, and it's been my experience that someone who's really good with Tracer
1: is really good. I'm not really good with Tracer. I'm com- I'm comfortable where I would be willing to play her in comp games, mm-hmm. um, because I can actually do pretty well with her outside of her alt. I'm terrible with her alt. It's just it's 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 embarrassing, but she doesn't need it to be good. So
0: okay. Well, uh, tonight we are not actually here to discuss video games, although th- that that time will come. Not today though. Not today. Today we're going, we're kicking it old school. We're looking low tech. And so we want to talk about board games. This is something that's been in the works for a while. We've gotten some feedback from some of you listeners out there about some board games that you know and love. And some of them, yeah, we have no idea what you're talking about. And others, yeah, we totally know what you're talking about. Uh, we did have a guest lined up, a good buddy of mine named Sean Fletcher, who is a game designer by trade, but due to scheduling issues, because he's on one coast and we're not. Uh, Due to scheduling issues, uh, he couldn't join us during our normal recording time, so I'm going to record a little bit with him later on, and we're going to splice that into this episode, so uh, look for that. Probably tagged on to the end of this episode, unless Rich and I go really long, and then I'll just make it a separate download. But still, we are going to talk to him, so we do want to get a designer's input to see how things work from the other side, but for now, to start things off... Rich and I want to look at some of the board games that we love, maybe try and figure out why we love them from a player's standpoint, and maybe even talk about some games we hate, because there are some games that I totally hate, and have absolutely no desire to ever play. I'm looking at you, Monopoly. I'm looking at you, Monopoly. I am looking at you monopoly i hate Benach. I do. I have absolutely no desire to play that game whatsoever at all. It holds nothing for me. Not even licensed Monopoly. Okay? Not even like Lord of the Rings Monopoly. I don't, I don't care. It's
1: it means cuz you're probably a good person. Yeah. yeah, probably.
0: So, hey, why don't we start off rich? Why don't you tell me one of You don't have to like make a ranking or tell me it's your favorite, but one of one of the, the the board games that you enjoy.
1: Um, right now probably my favorite to play is Small World.
0: Ooh, I've heard very very good things about Small World. Uh so for listeners out there who don't know it, why don't you give us uh like Here's Okay, so let's let's do it this way. Uh let's pretend that you, myself, and the listeners were all at uh, like some kind of a, a party. We've just ordered pizza. It's not going to be here for a while. We want to play a board game.
1: Give us the pitch. Um, small World is very r- like risk ish. Uh-huh. You're trying to conquer as many lands as you can. Right. Because um, every land you control at the end of your turn gives you points. Nice. And so, but you take, um. every game is going to be different because you choose a race and a power. And the race and power alternates every time because it's a, it's a random shuffle how they get aligned. Mm-hmm. And so then you just start, uh, I'll take my turn, I take my, po- my race and my power, and I cap all my, or sorry, capture your... Th- er, take the different lands I want, and then everyone goes around, and then you start taking other people's stuff, and you get cards like the Sorcerer, who's our douchebags. <laughs> because generally, you conquer with more than one tile, and a tile is one of your race. Uh-huh. And a Sorcerer, if he's adjacent to an, an opponent, what, he only do it one per opponent per turn. If he's adjacent to one of them, and they only have one tile there. He can just take it. Okay. Not even part of any, and a lot of it is because your power has a number, and your race has a number, and that's how many tiles you get. And so it's not always the most. Like, so, and eventually you start running out where you can conquer, because you need to hold your old lands. Sure. The sorcerer has so many tiles, he actually takes from his, the tray, he doesn't actually take from what he uses to conquer. Huh. Yeah. Or use the pillaging orcs, which both give you additional coins when you take, conquer a land. Mm Mm-hmm. And so for them, you actually just constantly abandon your land and just keep conquering because it gives you more gold than it would to sit there and hold land.
0: Oh, so you just like take everybody and just keep moving.
1: Yep, you just keep everything. And then eventually you're going to run out of places to do. Then you have to go and decline, which is a whole turn. And then you get a new one, and then you start working from there. And then eventually you'll go into decline again. You'll lose your first race, and then you're only working with the second one hmm. and the third, and then it just keeps going until the game runs out, which I believe with four people is ten turns.
0: Okay, yeah, and I was going to say, one of the twists that, as as I understand, because I've never actually played Small World, uh, one of the twists, as I understand it, is if you're, like, killed off, if you're wiped out, you just start as another race.
1: Well, that's not necessarily how it works, because everyone pretty much goes in decline. Uh-huh. Because eventually, like, let's say if I take a whole bunch of lands, yeah. I'm not going to have a lot of people to conquer with. Mm-hmm. And that means, okay, so I have a lot more lands than everyone else. My troops, my tiles are spread thin, so I'm easier to take. Gotcha. So, and I can't play as many tiles, and sometimes it's not beneficial to not... Sometimes it's beneficial to just sit there and rack up the points, but then sometimes it's not, so then you want to go into decline, and you'll lose all your special abilities for the most part, but you'll still get points for them, but then you get a new race to start taking more lands, and that way you can start occupying more and more spaces. So it's never really you're kicked off the board, which can happen. I've never seen it because you're everyone's ganging up on you and you're playing very badly. Right. But um, I've never seen someone have no pieces on the board anymore.
0: Right. So but, the- theoretically it could occur, but.
1: It's possible because yeah. um, if I take one of your lands that let's say you had two guys on there and I took it, uh-huh. um, one will go back to your pile that you have and one goes back to the tray and the trays you can't you can't use anything in the tray. So eventually I could wipe you out of pieces. Right. Um but it would be very difficult to do and you would have to be just doing nothing for like turns and turns.
0: Okay. So if I could if I could sum up the like 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 2 second pitch is it's like risk but it doesn't take forever and you have essentially unique abilities
1: every time. Yes. Okay. Cuz each race has its own ability, and every power is has its own power.
0: Right, So, and you, you pair those, so you get a random race and a random power.
1: Yep. Okay. Yep, and the, you know, there's six to choose from, and the first one's always free, but to go down past the first one, you have to pay coin, mm-hmm. and then let's say someone skipped the second one a bunch of different times, so it's got like three coin, three, four coins on it. Mm-hmm. If I take that race, I get the coins on it. Oh, so sometimes okay. it's worth to start taking it, like, oh, maybe it's not optimal, but I can get all these coins now. So it tries to incentivize
0: taking the less popular. Yep. Okay, cool. Absolutely cool. And if you were to, uh, then, okay, then always the question comes up. Oh yeah, sure. We'll try this game, but how long is it going to take to play?
1: Four people, which is pretty standard, at least an hour.
0: Okay. But we're not talking like the investment of, yeah, we're going to be here all afternoon.
1: Oh, it's no, it's It's not risk. risk. It's so much quicker than risk because it ends 10 turns. That's it. The game's over. It stops. You count up your coins and see who wins. Gotcha. So yeah, it's 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 you're about an hour. Five people. I don't. I play with my wife. We'll play two player, and it'll sometimes be a half hour, forty minutes.
0: Oh, so does it play well as a two player game?
1: It does. It plays. It plays okay. The thing is, though, it's nice because there's four. The it comes with two boards. Each side has its own map mm-hmm. for two, three, four, and five players. Hmm. So. If I play, if I'm playing with just me and you, our map's going to be a lot smaller. There's a lot fewer spaces to conquer.
0: Oh well, that's good.
1: Yep. and there's also you can buy an expansion for a six-player board, which I have not done yet, but I kind of want to.
0: Mm. Well, okay. So Small World, it uh, sounds great. Honestly,
1: sounds. Great. I love it. It's one. It's probably my favorite game I'm playing right now.
0: Uh, while since we mentioned it, since we're now adjacent to that, I suppose we ought to talk about Risk. But let me it, mm, let me ask. Do you like risk? It's fine. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel.
1: The thing about risk, which is funny, is they know people aren't fans of their game. They do think they've done things to the rules over time to make it quicker and faster and more inviting. Like they've actually done things to change the game themselves, so the games don't go forever.
0: Yeah, that's always been my problem with risk. It's like an investment in like. A, it's it's like it's like taking on a pet, right? It's going to be fine in the beginning. It's going to be awesome and fun, but eventually you're going to realize that playing it is just a responsibility. And are you up to that responsibility? Do you have that kind of time to kill? Um, we eventually instituted a house rule uh, back when I, I, I used to play a lot of board games with uh, some friends in grad school. And we eventually instituted a house rule that whoever took Australia and kept it for two consecutive turns won the game because usually that's what would happen anyway cuz the person who had a, Australia there's that great choke point right there and so they would just slowly build up the army and then as soon as anyone else tried to uh take over the world they would just sweep out of Australia and wipe everybody out and, in the aftermath.
1: They've done a lot of different things like uh I know there's a quick version where you deal the cards out and then everyone the cards you get dealt those are the countries you take. Mm-hmm. And so you don't you're not like amassing this like global army you're kind of spaced out a little bit. Right. Um, so they they've done things to themselves to make the game quicker, which is kind of an inherent problem of the game because it is, a, it's a, it's a, it's a time commitment. It
0: really is. And so for those who don't know, Risk is essentially the game of world domination and you, uh, you have an army, and you start in a country, and you use the army to take other countries, and you battle against, uh, you know, the other players to try and take over the world. And when a skirmish it's... happens, your your army might lose some people. Their army might lose some people.
1: And you make alliances, and then you stab people in the back because I was say,
0: they, then you break them
1: because they moved all their people to the front, not to the back, and you just sweep through them like it's like it's bad.
0: Yeah, it can get very political. You can lose friendships at risk. Um, it's very,
1: really it. uh, very low RNG. Uh, yes, uh, the dice are there, but that's mean that's bad. Dice rolls are never going to lose you risk.
0: Right. Un- unlike the it, name would suggest, it's really it's really your strategy that's risky
1: that uh, will happen. Yeah, because it is such a strategy based game,
0: and it's all about not overextending. That's really what it comes down to, but I'm I'm not a huge fan of Risk. I know there's, uh, I think it's called
1: Risk Legacy. Yes, I kind of want to do that because it sounds amazing.
0: Where essentially each game that you play somehow alters the board itself intrinsically, and so all future games...
1: For 15 games.
0: Yeah, so it's an interesting idea. I've never done Risk Legacy, so I can't really speak to it, but I know... Something I guess
1: there's a, there's also, a, there's a pandemic get legacy as well. Uh,
0: there is, and we will totally get to, you know what, uh, let's, let's, that's a great segue. Let's talk about pandemic.
1: It's like I did it on purpose.
0: It is like you did it on purpose, good sir. Uh, pandemic is a game that I absolutely adore. I haven't gotten to play it enough. Um, some people love it. Uh, I, I, I don't know anyone who hates it. I've met people who are indifferent to it.
1: My wife dislikes it, but that's because when we play with our friends, me and my, our, my friend Cody just run the whole board, mm-hmm. and I understand why that's not fun for them.
0: So the idea with Pandemic is, uh, it's the world, and so we have the world laid out on a map, and there are uh, like viral outbreaks that are occurring. Four of them. And you and the other players aren't really competing against each other.
1: Well, you aren't at all. It's a 100% team game.
0: Yeah, it's a team game. You're competing against the viruses. You're competing against the the situation in the world, as it were. And
1: you you're... you play against the game.
0: Your goal is to try and uh, essentially contain the outbreak, come up with all of the, the cures for the different outbreaks that happen... Uh, and, you know, there are random events that can occur where, where an outbreak happens in a city and you have to get to that city and, and try and contain it. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a lot of strategy of, you know, I, you need to go over to this city and do this thing and I'm gonna go over here and do this thing. So you do have to coordinate a lot with one another and each player has a character with a different ability. And so you always want to try and play to the ability's strengths, but it's very much a co-op game. Very much a co-op
1: game. You've got to be trying to play five turns ahead. Yeah. You and really just pray that. the cards don't screw you.
0: And here's the thing, though. Okay, while I love Pandemic, uh, the cards are going to screw you.
1: You, and you're, you play the game, and the game is really good at beating you.
0: Yeah, if you ever wanted to get a sense of, uh, you know, just hopelessness and despair... A pandemic's got your number. It can
1: do that. That game can be so stressful.
0: Because you're like, oh, we're on top of things. Everything's going to be fine. Next turn you'll do this, and then you'll do this, and then you'll do this, and then suddenly, oh, nope. Nope. Outbreak, there's, and you're
1: screwed. There's two ways to lose in pandemic. The player deck is empty, or you reach, what is it, nine or eight outbreak or yeah, outbreaks?
0: Yeah, it's like eight or nine outbreaks that occur, and then,
1: yeah. Hmm. So it's I've,
0: I've had it come down to the wire, and I have lost some some real heartbreakers.
1: I've only won the game once. And the thing about the player deck giving you limited is there's that I means there's only so many turns you can play the game.
0: Yes, it does have a definite ending. It's not going to go on forever and ever and ever. Just know that you you may lose, and when you lose, everyone lost. You all feel bad.
1: It's and it's a feel bad. It is. Because, but like you said, especially the ones like "I got this," "We got three cures," "We're on the way." No, nope. How did this happen?
0: Welcome to real life. Just when you thought you had it all together, we're gonna. Swipe it goes
1: it to show you, I should never be in charge. If there's these pandemics, I should not be in charge. <laughs> we will lose.
0: That that I suppose. But I, pan, I, we're 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 sounding a little jaded here. But pandemic is a lot of fun.
1: It I is. Think. Like yeah, we make it sound so negative, but it is so much fun. Um, like I said, my problem was we ran the table. And don't just don't do that. Don't try not to do that in any game, whether it's cooperative or not. Mm-hmm. Try discussing with everyone. Try to get everyone's opinion because when you run the table, it's not fun for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, if you're taking some, if you're just gonna tell someone what to do on their turn completely, yeah, stop that because they're not having fun.
1: You let them try to like. I always try to make sure explain our moves to make sure it makes the most sense. Right. And then when my wife makes a move that makes no sense, it's like. Are you, are you playing the same game we are? Um, because what you're doing is not going to help the end situation. It's just going to help. the. It's a band-aid. We need to look at long-term.
0: Yeah, and that is something that pandemic can teach you, is that sometimes you do need to, we're going to, th- that thing that's right next to you, just ignore that right now. We have bigger fish to fry. We'll go
1: do this. It'll be better in the long run. Trust me. Like, oh, I can get the cure. I'm like, you can get a cure for a disease that's not very populated, or we can stop an outbreak from happening. Yeah.
0: But it's a good so. game. Uh, you know, I, I recommend it. Uh, and I there's
1: difficulty settings, too.
0: There are difficulty settings, uh, and there are expansions for it. I haven't played the expansions.
1: I have uh, not either. I've only played the core game. Same here. And there
0: is a Pandemic Legacy that is similar to Risk Legacy, where things that happen alter alter the game long run.
1: I wonder what happens if you play the thing. you're on game three but you lost the first two games. It's got to be terrible.
0: Oh, it's got it. There's got to be a I mean, point. It's, it's where like it, it's how do you
1: even come back from that?
0: It just gets so bad that you're like, you know what? Let's just burn it. I'll go buy a new copy. We'll try again.
1: This game's over. Let's yep, throw it away. Yep. I think they it. do the the pandemic legacy, legacy. They release in seasons, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I know lots of folks are big fans of Legacy or of Pandemic uh and Pandemic Legacy. If you haven't checked it out, I do recommend it. It's a fun one, and I like it's a, I, it's I like a great a co-op
1: games. game. Co-op yeah. games are fun. My wife prefers them because she's not very competitive. Uh huh. So,
0: uh, what else you got? What's another game that you enjoy?
1: I mean, Smash Up. I talked about that last time. Right. Ticket to Ride. Ooh, Ticket to Ride. It is so simple yet so strategic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: it's like easy on the face of it but in the end it's super in-depth after you've played it yeah it's, it's, it's just an amazing game
0: i'm i'm inclined to agree why don't you explain the basic concept behind tick to ride
1: the basic concept of ticket to ride is everyone is dealt three tickets and you you have to keep two of them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they have locations on this like let's say it's dallas to new york that's your ticket you need to connect all these different train tracks across the map. The map, And uh, you want a consecutive line of all your color from Dallas to here, New York. And so that's the whole point of the game. And then you get points for how long, like when you lay track.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As you lay track, you'll like, if you lay one track, if it's only one long, you get one point. But if it's like six long, you get like 15 points or something like that.
0: And there are bonuses for like the player with the longest one will get a bonus
1: all i have always every time i've won i've always had the longest track and i've always won because i had the longest track uh-huh. and when i win the longest track it's cuz i play with people who are like oh I'll make this roll here and this roll here mine's always a continuous chain very few side offs if I, unless i'm trying to hurt, hurt somebody which is funny but i mean the way the game works is you you dealt these cards which have colors of the trains and you need that many colors of a train like, if I need, if I have a track that I need to connect that's six long and it's all yellow, I need six yellow cards.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or the wild color. There's a wild color as well. Oh, and, that's, there is. and that's the way I lay track. But your turn, you have th- three things you can do on a turn. You can draw cards, you can lay track, or you can take tickets. Because if you completed your tickets, you can get more tickets because they're all worth points. That's right. But if you don't complete the ticket, it's negative points.
0: It is worth seeing. So six.
1: some people like to play the ticket game, but it's risky. And generally people that are heavy ticket gamers generally don't go for longest track.
0: No, nope.
1: no, they don't. Um. So I like to keep tickets that like – my the first time I played and I won is because I had like Seattle to um, Denver and like Denver to somewhere else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was perfect. So it's – I don't know if an like, explanation does the game justice because it's when you hear it explained, it's just not even close to how fun it is.
0: Yeah, that that was the thing when I first heard about Ticket to Ride, I'm like, oh, it's a train building game. That sounds fun, I guess. And I didn't get around to playing it for a long time, but once I finally did, like the first time you play it is a little bit weird. But once you're done with the first game, you're kind of like, can can we can we do that again? Because now that I see what's going on, I think I can think I can do this better.
1: And it's so simple to play because the concept's very easy. There's one of three things you can do, and that's what you do. That's the whole game. Yep. I mean, there's more strategy behind it once you, like, you don't just take two random tickets. I mean, you try to, you know, game the map a little bit to see how you can complete both of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, because some of them are, like, you know, 15, 20 points. You don't want that negative. Mm Mm-mm.
0: Yep, sure don't. And I'm I'm very, very uh, conservative when it comes to playing the, the ticket
1: I, game. I have never taken more than my the minimum tickets I've ever had to do, and I haven't lost yet.
0: Oh, well, there you go. There's a, a pro tip from Rich to you. Stop taking
1: tickets. Again, though, I always go by the longest train. Uh, that's, I've always won because of that it's 10 extra points. Oh. And I never sidetrack unless I absolutely have to. Like, it's the last turn, and you can't add on, but you can get track somewhere else, just take the points.
0: Yeah, just take them. You'll get there.
1: Because, so, I mean, it's, honestly, otherwise you're, wasting, you're just not getting. You're giving yourself points.
0: Yeah, so Ticket to Ride, another, I'm going to describe it as a semi-adversarial game. You are competing with the other people, but you're not competing against the other people, if that makes sense. Although you can. You can be a jerk. You can totally go, oh, I see you're building track towards that. I'll bet you need that you know what, I'll just block you. I'll just put a track to the city that you needed to go through.
1: Like, See, I guess my big strategy I do, I'll sit there and I'll just draw cards for turns. Mm-hmm. Like just be drawing cards, mapping out what I want to play, and I only will play a track if I think people are getting close to taking what I want. Yeah. But then I wait till my opponents have laid a lot of track mm-hmm. and their hands are empty, and then I just start going to town because then I'm going to get my huge long track done and they can't stop me. Even if they see where I'm going, they most likely don't have the cards to stop me. It's just too late. Yeah. So that's what I do. I'm not saying when I, how I play is the right way to play it. It's how I found success. But I play with the same people every time. Yeah. So, like, I've, I think I've played two or three games, and it's always been with my wife and my parents.
0: Speaking of playing with the same people every time, I have a game that I would like to discuss that might be a little polarizing for some folks... Uh I want to talk about Cards Against Humanity.
1: Love that game.
0: This is a game that I I definitely enjoy. Uh, it's described as a party game for horrible people and that's pretty much true. Um if you've ever played Apples to Apples, you kind of already know how this game works. Uh if you oh, haven't, I'll, I'll
2: have
0: I will describe Uh, so it, it scales very well. That's one nice thing about cards against humanity. As long as you have, you know, three to four players, you know, you can have like 10 and it'll still work just fine. And that's what makes it a great party game. Uh, so you, you have two different decks of cards and I think it's the white cards are the cards that the players have. And then the black cards are the ones that are being used with whoever's turn it is. So everybody has a hand of cards and then, uh, the person whose turn it is will turn over a black card, and the black card will uh, give like a sentence that you have to fill in a blank, or a question that you have to give an answer to, or, uh, you know, something like that, okay? All of the other cards that people are going to play relate to that black card.
1: Uh, So, uh, you could... Like, a black card that I've played with is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Blank.
0: Yeah, that's a very good example. Harry, Ch- Harry Potter and the Chamber of Blank. And then everybody else has to look in their hand and go, okay, what's the best card I could play here? But they have to try and figure out best by what criteria, because the person whose turn it is, is the one who decides what's best. And it can be funniest, it can be most offensive, it can be most off the wall, it's just whatever they decide is the funniest. So if you know that person's sense of humor, and you know how they think, you can pander. You can totally pander to their sense of
1: humor. I me mean, once if you play the game, everyone's got a card that they will always pick.
0: Oh, yeah. I've got a I've got a buddy who there's a card that I can't say out loud because this is a family-friendly show that if you play that card, he will pick it, regardless of whether it makes sense in context or not.
1: Do you want to know what card won the Harry Potter and the Chamber of? Uh,
0: am I going to have to It's clean.
1: It's clean. No, you won't have to believe it.
0: Okay, then yes, I would.
1: It's Harry Potter and the Chamber of Dead Parents.
0: Oh oh god
1: oh how fitting was that though oh, i mean
0: yeah that's some dark humor and yet it's fitting for the oh boy and,
1: and that's the humor that's out there it's either really it's dark it's all dark it's offensive it, it's dirty
0: it is dark dirty and offensive this is not the kind of game you play with people you don't know that is a terrible idea this is not the kind of game that you play with your parents that is a terrible idea that being said, there are some cards and, and you know, with some, I, I, I'm going to say that there's, there's definitely some truth to this. There has been some criticism of Cards Against Humanity that some of the cards they have are while they're, while yes, they're offensive and edgy, some of them are just really, really tasteless. And some yes. have argued that they go over the, there are a few cards here and there that I've pulled them from my copy. Cause I'm like, eh, that's a little i don't think i really want to be doing that
1: so it's, eh,
0: it's you either like it or or you hate it but it's
1: and i think they're running into that because i think it's honestly a very similar problem that fame the guy ran into towards the you know in their ends yeah or even now that they have is there's only so many jokes you can make and they keep selling expansions for they this do, game
2: but
0: some of them are really they, good
1: they but you know there's only so many ideas they, they're out there yeah There's only so many dirty. I mean, granted, it's nice because they can keep using the new pop culture references.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that's where they excel is there. There are a lot of pop culture references. A lot of memes will show up uh, on the cards. Um, I think it's fun, but it's got to have the right. It's got to have the right audience. It's got to have the right venue. It's not it is not an everyday game.
1: It's not a game you play like at the game shop with people you don't really know.
0: No, no, you don't. I mean, play- maybe
1: you do, maybe you do, but you're most likely going to be offended, or you could probably offend someone. But then again, people playing cards against humanity should know what they're getting into. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: Uh, but it is a game that I enjoy. I, I think there's some really funny stuff. One of the things that uh, we instituted as kind of a, a house rule among the friends uh, that I have that we we played, uh, whoever won the game at the end uh their their prize was they got to pull a blank card and and create one and it goes into the mix
1: we never use the blank cards i don't like blank cards never have
0: well you know we had a lot of in jokes and and a lot of things that uh, and i i I get that
1: because i get that's what they're for but i don't we've just never used them but we play a little differently it's not we don't take turns being the judge whoever won the last hand is the judge Because that's, I don't know, not everyone plays that way. That's the way we play, because it stops a person from, like, running away with the game. Uh Uh-huh. So.
0: Also, my favorite thing, because there's there's some variations that you can play, and my favorite variation that they encourage you to do is a Rando Cardresian which is every time... They, so, you know, the person whose turn it is, who's supposed to be, you know, picking which one is is the best, they close their eyes while everybody puts their card down so they don't know whose card it was. And that the idea of the Rando Cardresian is you grab a random card from the white card deck and just throw it down. So in addition to the people at the table, there is one completely I random card that is there.
1: I like that. And
0: it is shocking how often the random one wins. I like that. So, yeah, you should totally try that variation. I encourage it. it-
1: a really nice thing about it, not just that game, but games like it, is you can you don't have to pay real close attention. You can be, like have you know just having a couple drinks, chit chatting while the game's going on, having some good laughs.
0: Yeah, and it's totally you know, not an intense game. And no, uh, not at all. Yeah, it's it it can require as little or as much thought as you need. Uh, and and it's nice. You you can. You can play it in a relatively short amount of time, and it's, I'm not going to describe it as infinitely diverse, but there are so many cards that the games don't play the same every time. No. Which is a nice feature, I guess. It is. Uh, all right, so that's thats an offensive game, Down. We got anything happier, maybe, that we could talk about?
1: Uh, how, about scary, how about scarier?
0: Uh, I don't, uh, oh, oh, some more frightening. Sure, hit me.
1: Um, House on Honda Haunted Hill, or whatever a was it?
0: Betrayal at House on the Hill. This is, oh my god, this is one of my favorite
1: games of all time. I've never played it, but I've seen it played, so I'm familiar with how the game is played.
0: Yeah, so here is kind of, kind of the trope. You are a group of intrepid explorers, uh, a la the Scooby Gang, and you are going to investigate a haunted house. <clears throat> Don't ask me why, you just are, okay? And so there are several different characters to choose from, and each character that you choose has, uh, certain traits like movement speed and, uh, like, I, I can't remember what exactly it's called, but it's like a measure of their mental stamina, that sort of thing. And so they've, they've got different traits. And uh, when you run into situations, you might have to do a check against those traits. And so whatever character you pick, there's two different versions of that character, one on one side of their character card and one on the other. So there's quite a bit of customization there, because I think all told, if you count both sides of the card, I think there's like 10 different quote unquote characters you can be. And so on your turn, you, you move around exploring the mansion. But the mansion is different every time because the mansion is made up of like interconnected tiles. And the tiles are just little cardboard pieces that are like in a deck, and you shuffle them. And so you start off with basically just the foyer at the beginning of the the mansion, and the first time you go through a door, you shuffle the pile, you pull out a tile, you put it down. That is now the room that is connected to that. And it can get really weird, because sometimes rooms connect in very strange ways. The inside of the mansion doesn't really match very well with physics. But some weird stuff can happen.
1: Not even a little bit. Not
0: even all. Some weird things can happen. Like there are some tiles that only work on the first floor and they're labeled that way. And then there are tiles that only work on the upper floor and there are tiles that only work in the basement. And so you can pull a tile and you're like, oh, that's just a basement tile. I've got to pull another one. Okay. Now I've got a first floor tile. And when you're doing a first floor tile, you might run into a trap that if you fail your check, you end up in the basement. You like fall through a hole and now you're in the basement. So now you're separated from the group. And you've got to explore until you find the staircase to get you back to the first floor so you can try and find everybody else. So you can get stranded. uh, You can find artifacts, uh, certain rooms you'll have to draw from a deck that an event will happen. And eventually, uh, enough events happen that you trigger the quote-unquote haunt. And when the haunt occurs, one member of your party turns on you. And uh, it's not always the person who triggered the haunt, but it usually is and the particular haunt that you get depends on which event triggered it and what room you were in when it triggered it so there's an, there's an entire booklet of different haunts that can occur and at that moment the game shifts from being this co-op game where you're all exploring this mansion to being uh, a game where now the heroes have something they're trying to accomplish and then uh the the haunt will instruct the traitor that they have a goal that they're trying to accomplish. Sometimes it's as simple as you have to kill the traitor. Other times it's like, oh, you've got to get this artifact to that room before they manage to collect these things and the house blows up. And so there's a bunch of different variations that can happen. So I'm not going to say it's never the same game twice, but it's almost never the same game twice. Because even if you trigger the same haunt, the layout of the house may be different from last time. Yeah, the party will be spread out different from last time.
1: I would say it's very hard to say that the house would have the exact same layout. That's got to be rare.
0: And so it's got a huge amount of variation. It's got co-op elements, but it's also got a competitive elements. And it's just a ton of fun, because there's so much variation to it. So I love Betrayal at House on the Hill.
1: Yeah, it looked really fun when I watched it play it. It looks very interesting.
0: Yeah, I think everyone should play it. Uh, for a while, it was almost impossible to get your hands on a copy of it, because when it was originally published, uh, the company that made it only made so many copies, and they basically just sold out everywhere. And then for a long time, they couldn't keep up with demand, And so, even if your game store got, like, two or three copies in, they would sell out almost immediately. But then they got bought up by a big publisher, and I think, don't quote me on this, but I think that publisher is a subsidiary of Wizards of the Coast. I think. And so, uh, now they actually get... There's plenty of copies. I think you can pick it up at Target now, which on the one hand is awesome because it means that more people get exposed to this game. But on the other hand, it means that your specialty game shops are now competing against big box retailers for something that, you know would have driven traffic before so
1: well um, i mean i sadly yeah. i have noticed that target is carrying a lot more board games
0: yeah and again
1: of this <sighs> and it's not just like the sorry's but not it's like it's board games like the kind gamers play
0: yeah i feel i feel good that more people get the games but <sighs> boy does it
1: worry me about what that's going to do to uh uh game shops well, i agree i mean because i love my game shop but, like, sometimes I see a game there that's, like, $60, but I can get it for, like, 40 on Amazon.
0: Yeah, and it is a tough... You know, let's pause. Let's pause for station identification. <clears throat> if you have the means, dear friends, if you're looking at just saving a few bucks by going to Amazon, look, consider just supporting your local game store instead. It might be a few dollars more, but it helps keep a nice local business that serves the community in the community. And so consider it. I'm not saying do it every time. That's fine. Look, I understand. We all need to save money where we can. But, you know, if it's just a few bucks, just do it. Just buy it right there. You'll be glad you did. And that is our message for today. Because we are brought to you by nobody.
2: Yay,
1: we could say what we want.
0: That's right. Although I can tell you, if you are in the Durham, North Carolina area, I recommend that you buy your board games at Atomic Empire in Durham, North Carolina. It's a great shop. You should check it out. And they have an amazing selection of board games. And a very knowledgeable staff who, if you're looking for a particular game or a particular style of game, they will gladly direct you to it. And that's the beauty of uh, a true game shop rather than a big box retailer. You can just go in and go, you know, I like co-op games that don't take nine hours. And they'll go, oh, yeah, here are like three or four games you might want to consider. So,
1: yeah. Speaking of supply and demand, a game that was made that was so unexpectedly popular... The maker of the game does not even have a copy of the first edition. Do you know what really? game that is? I do not. Settlers of Catan. Se- really?
0: I did From, not know that story. I heard that
1: the creator does not even have a first edition copy wow. because it sold out more than they ever thought it would. Right.
0: Okay, so why don't you describe Settlers of Catan for those who have never had a friend insist that they play it?
1: Um, hell...
0: Because, that's that's how I can best describe everyone's first experience with Settlers is you've got that it's, friend who will not let you say no.
1: I can't believe you haven't played Settlers. Yeah, it's a resource management game. Um, the game's rarely the same because you have all these different tiles that have different resources that, they they uh, give, and you randomly divvy them out, and then you then uh, co- you spit out the um. The numbers for the to correspond with the dice roll.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they show you the prob, kind of give you a rough idea of the probability of the dice roll for each one. Like so, it goes from two to twelve because you roll two dice. And so obviously things that are twos are rarely going to come up because there's only one way to roll it. Right. It's the same with twelve and eleven and blah. And so the game works. Then you put your settlements down, and you want to make roads, and you want to get victory points. And to get victory points, you build settlements, you build roads. You get you get dev car, development cards that have points or give you different things. And so the way it works is, um, let's say it's my turn, and I'm going to roll my dice, and I roll a 9. And so there's going to be a couple 9s and a couple of spots that are 9s, and you look at every settlement that borders a 9 tile. And let's say, in this case, 9 is ore. So it's my turn. I have nothing on a 9. I get nothing. But Clues has one, so Clues will get the ore. So my turn, I did, I yielded myself zero resources, and then it's my turn to take the resources I have. I can try to trade. Um, if I have a port which is on the edge of water, some of them are like you can trade two lumber for you know for anything or three or four. Some of them are like you know three for anything, and some are like two for sheep or blah blah blah. So I get to make a choice because I believe you can do all these different things in the same turn because you're not really limited to what you can build. In per turn, if I remember correctly. And then the game just goes on and on until someone gets 10 victory points. And then there's two. There's the largest army, which means you've got the knight cards, which let you kind of stop someone. You you kind of stop someone from getting resources, and you steal a card from their hand, which should be thief instead of knife. I don't know why it's a knight. but And if you get like three knight cards, you get the largest army, which is worth two victory points. Um, if you have the longest road, you get two victory points. It's a card that passes because once someone passes your road, they get it because now they have the longest. Yep. So, and that's, that's essentially the entire game. Um, I don't think I missed anything.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a resource management slash
1: trading game that. It it sounds simple, but super complicated at the exact same time.
0: Yeah. Please don't get me
1: wrong. It is, and it's not a simple game.
0: I'm not saying it's a bad game. Lots of people love it, and that's fine. You do not need to write to me and try and explain why Settlers of Catan is so great. Oh,
1: it is a good game. It's a good game. I don't like the game, but it's yeah. a good game.
0: Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. It, it's a good game, I just don't care for it.
1: I've been overexposed to it in a very short part of time. As Tom clues earlier, we had a good couple friends of ours. They came over every Sunday for Game of Thrones. That's ten weeks. And every Sunday we would have dinner and we play game. We would play Settlers until Game of Thrones came on. And ten weeks straight of Settlers gets on you because we play multiple games. Hmm. And it's yeah. It's, like,
0: is it is it also possible that you've come to associate Settlers of Catan with characters you care for being killed? Because no. that's my understanding of, of Game of Thrones.
1: Oh, that yeah. My favorite characters are always dying, but that's not it. Okay. It's just um, I don't know. It's never been amazingly fun it's kind of fun it's yeah. a solid game i totally get why people will like would like it it's not my kind of game
0: right that's that's the thing i do understand that the attraction i will play it if people really want to play it it's not like i'm oh god i don't want to play that it's just i can't picture myself going you know what i want to do tonight i want to play settlers of Catan.
1: i avoid it if i can but like if, if i was with four other pe- three other people and they all want to play settlers i'm not gonna say no
0: yeah well, here's a, here's a fun little game that I'll talk about that as, as a possible alternative the next time you pull together. I'm going to recommend the game Zombie Dice.
1: Ooh, super, that's a fun game.
0: Zombie Dice is so much fun. So Zombie Dice is another one of those it scales really well sorts of games. Um, it is a dice rolling game, as the name implies, and it involves zombies. And so uh the idea is there is a zombie attack, you are attempting to survive, you are attempting to kill as many zombies as you can before you are killed and and the game is over. And uh as I recall, there's a set score that you play to, and I don't remember what the set score is, but you want to try and get the most uh, zombie it,
1: kills. Isn't it being the last one alive, I thought?
0: Uh no, because every every turn uh you
1: you die. Oh yeah, cuz it's kind of like Fargo, yeah. Yeah. So it is it is I mean if people know what Farkle is, it's very similar. It's not like it's not exactly like Farco, but it has is very similar um no, every game you don't die. No, no. You no. go until you almost die. Well, that's how you that's how you rack up points. That's
0: how you rack up points. Yeah. So uh, okay, so and I I did say it backwards. You're the zombie. You're after brains, okay? So yeah there's there's a dice cup and when it's your turn you reach in and you pull out three dice. You don't know which dice they are because there are three different kinds of dice. There're the green dice, the yellow dice and the red dice. And on a die can be a uh, a brain, uh can be footsteps because the 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 person you're trying to eat has run away or there can be a shotgun. And uh the green dice have more brains than feet, than shotguns. The yellow dice have equal amounts of brains, feet, and shotguns. And the red dice have more shotguns than feet than brains. So, you don't know which three you're going to pull out. You might pull out three reds, you might pull out three greens, but as soon as you pull them out, you have to roll them. You cannot put them back. So you roll your three dice, and you may have some brains. And if you've got brains, set them to the side. Uh, if you don't have, if you have feet, let's see if I can remember this. Do the feet go back in the cup?
1: And you shake them
0: up. I think the feet go back in the cup and you shake them up again. Shotguns, you set to the side. Because if you get three shotguns, any brains that you got this turn, you don't get to keep and your turn is over. Yeah. Otherwise, at any point, as long as you haven't pulled dice out of the cup, you can say, you know what? I'm going to bank the brains I have and pass my turn. So if I pull out, you know, three reds, as my first thing, and I'm like, oh crap, but I roll three brains on reds, which would be amazing. I'm like, oh great, I will keep going. Absolutely. But if you've been pulling out nothing but green dice, and you're gonna about to reach into the cup again, and you're like, oh, I think most of the green dice are gone, hmm, this is getting dangerous, maybe I won't do that. And so there's this weird level of strategy, where you could just roll once, bank your brains, move on, but that's usually not the best. You've gotta, you've gotta decide what your level of risk is. Uh, exactly. To try and bank brains, and I love the game because it's very simple to explain. It's very quick to learn, and a turn takes very little time, and it's another one that takes very little concentration on your part. So you can be talking to a friend you know while other people are playing as it's going around the table uh you know so it doesn't it doesn't require like laser focus and you're not on edge the whole time, uh, but it's lots of fun.
1: that's a type of game I call a palate cleanser, oh sure. It's a great game to play in between games or after, like, a really long game. Yeah. Um, another game that I've found and have found um, super fun, it's called Coup. C-O-U-P, okay. like a coup. Oh, sure. And the way the game works, there's 15 cards, three cards, three of each different type of card. So there's five different types of cards, three of each, 15. Uh, uh-huh. you, everyone who's playing is dealt two cards face down, and only you know what they are. Now all all different types of cards represent a different character, and each character can do different things. You get to you can play any ability that any character can do in the game on your turn. Doesn't matter whose it is; you can do it. Let's so because see there's the duke, which lets you. but the way that your turn works: there's different actions you can take. There's two. There's four actions. There's take one currency, then like nothing can be done about that. You automatically get one currency. There's requesting foreign aid, which gives you two currency, but that can be blocked. Mm. And then there's spending seven currency to coup, which kills one player's card. Because you're out of the game when you lose both cards. And then the fourth action is your character action. Uh, There's the duke who lets you um, take, for foreign aid, you take three coins instead of two. Mm -hmm. And you can tell someone no to, if they say I'm going to get foreign aid, you can say no. And they get nothing that turn. Uh, There's the assassin who can spend three coins and eliminate one of your player's cards. Mm. There's the captain who steals two coins from another player and stops someone from stealing from you. There's the contessa who blocks assassination attempts. And then there's the ambassador. He's kind of weird. He blocks stealing. And you can draw two cards from the deck and put one. And you draw two cards from the deck and you have to put two cards back to the deck. You don't necessarily have to change exactly change what you have or whatnot, but you can kind of do that. And everything you do is face down. So if I, let's say I'm going to take foreign aid and Clue says, nope, block. And I, cause, Because he'll say block because I'm a duke. Mm-hmm. And if I say, no, you're not, and he has a duke, I lose one of my cards. But if he doesn't have a duke, he has to reveal one of his cards, and he loses one. And let's say I, Clues does have the Duke. Okay, he revealed his card. He gets to draw a new one because it wouldn't be fair that everyone knows what he can do. So it's all, all about reading people and lying and trying to remember what people have said they can do. Because some people who aren't, if you're not as experienced, some people will try to do what three. Like What I do is I'll almost always lie about one card and follow the other one. Mm-hmm. And I'll only ever do what I said. I remember what I say and that's all I'll ever try to do. Some people forget what they say, and they try to do three things. Yeah, and that's then it, then... never going to work. And some people—that's an effective strategy to start. You start lying about the first two, but then start doing things that you can do. They're going to start calling you on the things you can do, and then you trap them. Right. So it's the—it can be a strategy. It's just risky early game. It's crazy amounts of fun. Um. I don't I like it. Uh, some people don't like deception games. I really enjoy deception games.
0: I was going to say that certainly is a deception game, and the more you describe it, I'm pretty sure I've played
1: this before. Uh, I've I've had very much a lot of fun playing it. I think it's very fun. My wife hates it, but she's not a good liar. I can read her like a book. <laughs> um, so I figure her out instantly, and generally a lot of people that take a lot of time with their turns. Which, when we first started playing, I understand not everyone knows what everything does, so it does take a while to take mm-hmm. turns. But after you're going and people take a while, most of the time they're lying, because if you know what your cards do, you don't have to lie. You don't have to take time. Sure. Because some people like you because know, if you only have two cards, there's only two things you can do. Right. So when you have to think about all the things you can do, you're thinking way too and, much. Exactly. It's it's a very you got to. I when people take time whenever they're gonna call a bluff, that I get, because sometimes like I've been trying, someone's like trying to deny me money. I'm like, hmm. Why, why? But I um, don't. It's a. I think it's fun because it goes really quick. It's a nice palate cleanser. Yeah. Um. It's just fun. Um. You, if you, you have to be able to deal with people calling you out, calling you a liar. Right. Um. Uh, you gotta be able to accept that someone might be able to read you. Because if you can't handle that, don't play that game at all. Certainly not. Because if that's gonna get you frustrated and tilted, don't play. So
0: I I think that uh we're we're kind of barreling towards a conclusion here just to keep the show not crazy long uh but I I know man there's so many more games I think we should talk about cuz the longer we've gone I'm like oh yeah there's that one and that one and that one but one thing I do want to establish here before we wrap up given some of the games we've talked about and games you've experienced and games you like and games you don't like for you what makes a
1: good game depth
0: depth okay
1: what do you mean a by a that? game that can be kind of like the like ticket to ride is a really good example it's kind of simple on its face but there's a lot of strategy into it like it's not ju- you don't just win by random chance i don't like anything that's you just win because you rolled the right dice right i want to be in control of my victory i want to win because i played better i think um another good ex- like small world's another good example it's kind of simple but there's a lot of strategy to think about what you're doing like there's depth to the game it's anyone can play it but to be good at it, you do need to think about it. I like, I love strategy. It's something I've always been good at. I like to take the time. I like to think in that way. And so a game that has depth by you can just, anyone can play it, but you need to be good at it to win. I like that. It's Yeah, not...
0: and I think that's, that's really a better description of what I like about a game or what I look for in a game because you can have a game that is astonishingly complex with lots of depth, but he's also extremely complicated to understand and play.
1: That's tough. I mean...
0: And in a game like that, uh, the new player is at such a horrible disadvantage. that but then
1: it's not fun for them.
0: Exactly. And so I like at least a little bit of randomness in a game. I, I don't want it to be completely dictated by randomness. But if it's a game where the expert will always win 100% of the time, that does not appeal to me. Right? Like, I mean...
1: No. I mean, I, it's not chess.
0: I was gonna say I play chess, but I don't go out of my way to play chess for that reason.
1: I mean, there's so few games in this that are in this world in general that are pure strategy. That are pure the better player wins because everything is open. Um, there's, I mean, there's not, there's just not a lot of games that way. And I need something that's gonna be, you know, I can pl- I can play, you know, I can understand the first time I play, um, and I can learn to play better.
0: Yeah, that there is room for improvement over time, right? That yeah. If I'm gonna only ever be as good as the game at the game as the first time I play it, because there's that much randomness and chance to it, it's it's not fun on repeated playing. It might be okay the first time, but why would I come back?
1: Like uh, f- the first time a friend of mine played Small World, he like I was in the de- I was on my third race in decline, and he was still on his first, mm-hmm. and he got destroyed. He learned he can't hold on to a race that long. It's just you learn you learn as you go, and he became a better player because he mm-hmm. learned a strategy mm-hmm. and. Th- that's something that's very important to me, is the strategy of a game. Um, yeah, I think it's just something I need in a game, because that's what I like. That's, what, that's what's fun to me. It's not fun to my wife. That's why we have a hard time finding games to play together. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that's, that's what I look for in games. It needs to be, needs to be so, interesting, uh, random, not too complex.
1: Um, some different types of games I think people should look out for that are really fun. Um, deck builder games are amazing. Um, I think Netrunner was the really big first one that kind of hit, like, was huge. That Ascension. Ascension. Uh, yes. I think those were, like, huge games. Because, like, for me and my friend who's who's really big into Yu-Gi-Oh!, we like them because we love the idea of deck building because we come from TCGs. Right. But the, the difference about these games, like um, Marvel Legacy is one that my wife really enjoys and so do I, is, yes, you're building a deck, but we're not buying all these cards. We're working with the same cards all the time, but we're getting different decks. Um, i have a Harry Potter deck building game. That's pretty fun. Um, deck building games are amazingly fun, and there's so many different genres and um, licenses and different people that have their names on deck builders that they're unbelievably fun. And I definitely recommend finding like looking for a game that's called a deck builder into a genre that you're into. You, I, I have a hard time finding that you won't like it.
0: Yeah, I've played Netrunner a couple of times, and I'd like to play more.
1: I have not played Netrunner. I, I'm, I'm just aware of those, that that and Ascension were two of the really early deck builder games. And uh, Ascension
0: I've played on a number of occasions with some friends, and it, it is a lot of fun.
1: Um, like I, as, as everyone knows who listens to this show, I'm really into comic books, and I love Marvel. I have the Marvel Legacy, or Legendary. Sorry, it's Legendary. And it's a deck builder, and it's so fun. Because I get to play with Spider-Man and different heroes, and all the different heroes, you know, they fit, you know, they try to get really thematic with them, too. Like, they try to, like, Spider-Man's are kind of low cost, and they're not very high attack power, but they do a lot of different things. Like, because they're, you know, Spider-Man's quick, he's fast, he's smart. And then you get stuff like the Hulk, where he's this Hulk smash. Hmm. So, I, I don't know, I really like stuff like that. Deck building games are amazing. Resource management games... Um, which kind of not exactly like there's a lot of the ones, a lot of them involve like meeples. Um, There's ones like um, champions of Midgard. Um, There's some Lords of Waterdeep, which is kind of a little bit of a,
0: I've played uh, that one.
1: You have. So you you know what I mean by resource management then?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Five tribes is another one. I believe that's made by days of wonder, who is an incredible publishing company because they do five tribes, which is very successful. They also do small world and they do ticket to ride. Yes, yes they. Do. They make a lot of very high quality games.
0: All right. Well, that's at least a first look at games. Um like I said, I'm going to I'm going to be talking to a a board game designer here, uh which we'll we'll stitch on after the end of the show here. Um in fact, you know what? I'll stitch it in uh right here. I am joined now by a good friend of mine from the other coast, way out west. Uh, a man whom I know as Fletch. It is Sean Fletcher. Uh, he is a game designer by trade, and so we thought we would get some perspective from him. Sean, how are things tonight? I'm
3: I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I I uh, talked to Rich a little while ago. Uh, he bet me twenty bucks he was going to hate this show. Uh so uh, we'll 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 see if I can uh, live up to that.
0: All right, we'll see what we can do here. We'll see if we can just tear apart everything that Rich loves. Sure. Like, so uh, how do you feel about the game overwatch? Uh,
3: it's a video game. Yes, it is. Uh, I think it has pixels and stuff.
0: Okay. All right. That will in fact break rich's heart. Cause he's apparently, really uh, into
3: yeah, I actually, you know, everyone I know that plays it loves it, but I don't have too many opportunities to play a ton of video games.
0: Yeah. Look, if you are not actually writing that particular addiction, I'm not sure that I recommend it.
3: Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm that guy that, that, picks up like two adventure games a year and then plays them until I've found every nook and cranny of the game because I believe that if you've got a team of people putting in a year's worth of work on something, uh, speedrunning does does nothing to appreciate the uh, the work they put in.
0: You want to pursue every dialogue tree and find every uh, it, single... Exactly.
3: Year. I'll play a game through two or three times if I, I can use a different character type.
0: Oh man, I'm with you there. Uh, yeah. So you... You, sir, make games for a living, and that's awesome. So can you tell I, us a I little do. bit about what you do?
3: Okay. Uh, so I work for a, a company called Forest present Creative. Uh, it's F-O-R-R-E-S-T hyphen P-R-U-Z-A-N Creative. Uh, we're in Seattle, Washington, and we are an invention studio. Uh, that means that uh, we work with publishers other than ourselves. We're not a publisher, Um, we work with a publisher, we invent a game, uh, or a toy or a product. Uh, if that publisher has connections to, uh, a license, uh, an IP, so for instance, uh, Disney or Star Wars or Harry Potter, that publisher will, will kind of work with us to put that, uh, property onto the game that we're inventing for them. Um, and then the publisher takes that game and gets it into stores.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask how exactly that, you know, what exactly is the role of a publisher in, in this day and age of, you know, 3d printing and, you know, I can hire a company anywhere to make me a widget. Uh, how exactly does the game industry publish thing work?
3: Um, okay, so I'm at the inventing end, and 99% of the time that's really the only part that I care about, uh, because we've got enti- an entire department of people who handle the relationships with the publishers.
2: Gotcha.
3: Um, but my understanding <laughs> is that uh, the publisher primarily handles uh, the uh, distribution mm-hmm. and manufacturing of the game. Uh, by which I mean they're the ones going out and, and making deals with factories to have a factory manufacturer. Uh, then they take care of, uh, shipping and warehousing the games and then distributing them out to, uh, say brick and mortar or supplying Amazon, uh, with, with the, the copies of the game that they would need.
0: Gotcha. So on your end, it's literally just,
3: I, I make games. Someone else yeah. does all the boring. Yep. And in in my case, um, my background is in graphic design. That's what I went to school for. So uh, when I'm making the games, I'm usually putting in a little bit of uh, preliminary uh, graphics and art direction. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got an entire in-house team of artists uh, and graphic designers whom will often take what I make and polish it up. Um, They get involved a lot more in projects for publishers who have licensed uh materials. Right. So our art department will take the style guide uh and whatever um, uh approved art the the IP uh is providing and they'll make our you know boards and cards and uh boxes and any other game components uh match the style and brand requirements for those those IPs.
0: Right. So if it's like a a storybook fairy tale setting, they'll make it, you know, all fairy tale looking rather than generic. Yeah. Okay. All right. Right. How, if I could ask, how complete is a game when it leaves you guys? In other words, is the first time that you ever really see the way it's going to look on a shelf when you are literally in a store looking at it on a shelf? Or is it pretty much the complete product by the time it leaves you guys?
3: Um, well, it depends on on what kind of product. Um, myself, I I work on what we call Blue Sky Projects. Uh, so I just kind of make up new stuff, and we kick it around internally for a while, and we determine which of those projects we want to push far enough that we'll show them to publishers and which ones we just want to kind of let sit on the shelf for another year to to uh, gestate. Um, but when my projects go out the door, they're usually still fairly rough. They're good enough that if you put it on the table and someone saw it for the first time ever, they'd think, wow, that's a really nice prototype. Um, but it's usually the publisher who picks that that game up from us who then decides, yeah, we're going to polish this up and change the art theme and turn the narrative around and make it from uh, a steampunk game into a uh, 14th century Japanese naval game. Um, you, these kinds of things happen. Uh, and in those cases, I usually don't see... Uh, what the final artwork looks like until, like you said, it's on a shelf or until they send us uh, samples of what's about to go on a shelf. Um, just in the last two weeks, I got to see the uh, the first art passes on a game that we were developing for a, a publisher in Europe. Uh, I went to uh, the Nuremberg Toy Fair last week, spent a week in Germany, uh, just kind of pitching games that I've been working on to publishers. And while we were there, we got to see uh, the early art stages of a game that, that, uh, we'd sold last year. Okay. Um, uh, so that was exciting. And then when, when the, when our in-house art department is working on a game for a publisher that has a license, uh, because they are the art department, they have a pretty good idea of what everything's going to look like. They're the ones making the files to send to the factory. Gotcha. So we'll get what they call an FEP uh which is a first something something i'm i'm not sure exactly what that means um but we we get the sample of what the factory is producing sent directly to us and we do sort of a, the quality control checks and make make sure all the pieces are uh properly made so in those cases, we know exactly what it should, should look like before it hits a shelf.
0: Right. And so you said you just saw the like preliminary art pass on a game that you guys sold a year ago. So does yes. it, does it always move at, at that slow of a pace? Or I guess what I'm really asking is what's the shortest amount of time that you know of that you had like, okay, here's a prototype idea we have for a game to there it actually is in a store. What's, what's typical? What's the shortest?
3: Um, So it it all depends on what the workload on the factories in China looks like, Mm -hmm. usually. Um, If you're shipping files to China, either to be printed or to have plastics manufactured, um, you've got turnaround times there, you've got uh, shipping times, you've got customs uh, windows that have to be uh, dealt with. Um, But we've had projects where we've gone from uh, a publisher saying, hey, we need a project or we, we, we need a game. Uh, it needs to be, say, a party game that can sell at mass market. And we'll go from that request to a rough prototype of a game to internal workshopping of that game to a handful of uh, playtests with external playtesters. Uh, we'll build the art files, ship them off to China, and we can pull all that off in about two weeks. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We've had projects that uh, come in with such tight timelines that ninety um, percent of the, the the time that it takes to go from uh, concept to ready to ship to stores is actually all in the manufacturing end.
0: So it's really the logistics,
3: right? On your right. Side. And part of my job is is in blue sky to fill our shelves with game concepts that can be sold to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Sure. Um, so having a, having a couple of um, rough prototypes that don't have completely finished uh, themes or artwork, that's good for us because it does allow us to, to move very quickly when those kinds of opportunities uh, arise. Somebody says, "Hey, we need something last week." Well, hopefully, I've got something for you.
0: <laughs> so there's this idea that we had over there. It's kind of it's mostly roughed out, and we, we think it'll fit well. Okay, uh, yep. there there are a couple of I, there are a couple of games that I know of that you have worked on that have gone to at least uh, some success. That some people might be familiar with. That I'd like to bring up if you don't mind. Yeah, and, go for it. Uh, one of those is, I believe, the title of the game is "Really Bad
3: Art." Oh, I love that one.
0: And uh, folks out there who are listening, if you've seen the game "Really Bad Art" uh, at your local game store, uh, this guy, this is the uh, guy. I gotta correct you that.
3: there. It's yeah. a it's a Target exclusive. Oh, it is. Yeah, you cannot find it at, at uh, the friendly local game stores. Uh, oh, there's
0: fascinating.
3: A, yeah, Target has a Target has an exclusive window on that. Uh, I'm not sure how long that lasts. Um, but, but for now, yeah, target and target.com are the only places to to find that one.
0: Cause that is in fact where I found it. And I tweeted you yep. a picture that was, Hey, yep. isn't this that game you were working on? Cause I was so, so shocked that it's like, yeah, there it is. And it's in target. Yeah.
3: Target's actually been doing a great job, uh, the last year or two, um, uh, of bringing a lot of hobby style games, games that you would find yeah. at, uh, the friendly local game stores and getting them onto the shelves. Uh, where the, the broader public audience will find them.
0: Yeah, and uh, Rich and I did talk about this uh, a little earlier tonight. Uh, this is something that I'm somewhat conflicted about. As mm-hmm. a game player and a game lover, I love the idea that these sorts of games are starting to get uh, exposure for a wider audience. On the other hand, I worry about Uh, your friendly local game stores no longer being the go-to place for this sort of thing. So, I don't know. I'm still torn on it. I don't know where I'm going to come down on it. In the end, you know, gamers will find games wherever they find games.
3: Well, you and I had spoken a little bit about that at uh, PAX this past uh, September. Right. That happens in September, right? Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thereabouts.
3: My, my feelings are that, um, the, the American game audience has really shifted in the last 10 years. We've gone from, uh, sort of a, a consumer culture that bought most of its games at, at Target, Walmart, and Toys R Us to a consumer culture that looks to online resources, board game geek and bloggers and, uh, geek and sundry and shut up and sit down. Um, and, and people are really learning about games that way. Um, so a lot of people are, are learning more and more about what a friendly local game store uh, can be. And they're finding communities there that they enjoy. Uh, but at the same time, um, having almost universal access to games like that through a retailer like Target um, gives more opportunities for games to to spread a little more um, virally because you may sit down and 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 bring a game that you picked up at a at a, a friendly local game store sit down and play it with a bunch of friends who wouldn't otherwise know about that game store they'll enjoy the game that you've shown them and if they can find that game at uh target they're going to pick it up there they're they're the goal is to is to, you know, evangelize good games uh and, right. and fun game experiences to friends. I don't think that uh seeing games like that show up at, at mass market is really gonna have too much negative effect on uh gamer cafes or or hobby stores simply because the more people learn about those games, the more they're going to be drawn back to those places where they can gather with other gamers
0: right it's really about the community Um, yeah
3: exactly uh
0: and another success uh that that you've had recently there is if i'm not mistaken a harry potter game that you guys were involved in
3: there is yeah yeah i that's 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 a great game um i wish i could take full credit for it but uh now we our our studio did uh a lot of preliminary work for that um and then we partnered with USAopoly mm-hmm. uh and and they were looking for some some sort of new uh game platforms to to work uh with with IPs on um for years they've they've been sort of masters of uh applying properties to Monopoly and Yahtzee and Jenga and, and sort of classic uh games like that but they wanted something that was fresh and new and didn't already exist as some other, uh, classic game. Sure. So we had a, we had a cooperative deck building game, uh, engine that we licensed to them and they were able to partner with Warner Brothers and the Blair Group who manages, uh, Harry Potter licensing for, for JK Rowling. Mm Um, and they saw the opportunity there where, where they said, okay, we, we know we work with Warner Brothers. We have this this game engine from Forest Przan. Let's put the two together and see what happens.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And you know, I think I think I'm biased, but I think the the results were uh, phenomenal. And, the game uh, gets solid reviews on BGG, so I can't complain.
0: And I think there are multiple Harry Potter games out there right now. So which
3: which specific title is this? Uh, this is Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Okay. It's, um, it's a like I was saying before, it's a cooperative deck building game uh so it, you can play as uh Harry Hermione Ron, or Neville,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and you're all playing at the same time and your your goal collectively is to take out the villains uh that are trying to uh attack various locations from the books and movies
0: okay all right and so it's it's a cooperative deck building game, yes.
3: That's interesting,
0: because normally when you encounter deck-building games, it's really... Uh, I, I think the best way to describe it is adversarial.
3: Yeah, yeah. There there aren't too many cooperative ones out there. Um, Marvel's Legendary mm-hmm. is mostly cooperative. Uh, towards the end of that game, uh, the players are encouraged to sort of turn against each other so that there is one ultimate winner with the most points. Uh, but in the Harry Potter deck-building game, you either... All win together, or you all lose together.
0: Okay, so in a way, that's sort of uh, the the co op feel of like a pandemic. Yes. Okay, but with the shell of a deck building game, more like uh, an Ascension, or uh, uh, I feel like there's one other deck building Dominion. Here, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, fantastic. Uh, so now that we've gotten all of those uh, bona fides out of the way, as a game designer. From your standpoint, what do you look for in a game that separates it, that makes it uh, not just an okay game to play, but a good game to play, a great game even? What,
3: what, what sorts of things do you look for? Uh, it's gotta be fun. That's, that's really the big one. Uh, if a game isn't fun, it's, it's tough to be great. Um, I like games that, uh, do a good job of, of delivering on the promise that you, you get up front. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if something says that, uh, um, okay, say you've, say you've got a boy, I'm not sure how to go about this one. This might be something you want to edit. So, so a game
0: that advertises itself as uh, you're, for example, uh, a Harry Potter game, you are now taking on the role of a wizard. If, okay. If the game doesn't make you feel like a wizard, it's not really delivering on that promise.
3: Right, and I think with with something like uh, Harry Potter, you not only want to feel like you're a wizard, Harry, uh, you also want to feel like uh, you're part of the Harry Potter world specifically. Mm. So you want uh, the the Harry character uh, to play out sort of aggressively uh, and 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 uh, short tempered. You want the Hermione character to feel very methodical and smart. You want the Neville character to feel uh, a little unsure of himself, uh, but ultimately one of the best support characters you could ever ask for. Um, so when USAopoly, for example, uh, put together the Harry Potter deck building game, they spent a lot of time um, just making sure that when you played the game, um, depending on the character you, you chose to play as for that, that game, you really did play out the game, um, sort of, uh, steering into those, those archetypes and those patterns for those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it really does capitalize on, um, allowing Neville to be a strong healer or allowing, uh, Ron to just charge headlong into things without really thinking too much. Sure. Sure.
0: So, uh, if I could, uh, steal a, uh, if I could steal a reference from, uh, from the video game world. So, uh, for instance, if you were designing a, uh, a Sonic the Hedgehog game, uh, adding a character to Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, who has a gun doesn't make any sense. And yet that's a thing that actually happened. If I'm not. Yeah. Mistaken, in yeah. Game. It's like, Okay, we we had a game style, and okay, video games with dudes who shoot stuff, that's a fun style of video game, but that's that's not Sonic the Hedgehog, that doesn't really fit here, what were you thinking? Right. Uh, So it's got to be appropriate. Uh,
3: So another example of um, delivering on the promise might be Small World. Okay. Uh, In Small World, you've got uh, an opportunity to mix all of these different fantasy creature races with... um, I guess, mechanical traits. So you can have uh, seafaring trolls. And in any given one of these uh, uh pairings, you've got a race that was designed to feel very much like what you would expect that race to do. Mm-hmm. And you've got an ability that's also designed very much to feel like whatever that, that ability would be expected to do sure uh so you know rat men i think uh the game itself actually jokes rat men don't really have an ability there's just a lot of them <laughs> yeah. uh, uh yeah. yeah and 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 it can be very simple uh design in in that regard that it doesn't necessarily take a whole lot to um evoke something uh but a really, really elegantly designed game will evoke those things very quickly. You expect your your trolls to be super, super resilient. You expect your zombies to just uh, keep on uh, generating more zombies. Just be unrelenting. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. So
0: is a common design mistake and I don't I don't want to imply that you guys do any of these things cuz no, you're perfect. I know you make every everything you hit is a home run, I'm sure. But
3: Yeah, I'm not even close.
0: Is a common design mistake to uh take an idea and rather than getting the essence of the idea to worry too much about the minutia and to try and pile more and more and more onto it?
3: That yeah, I think that happens a lot. Um. Here's, here's here's a simple way to determine whether something was designed uh, well mm-hmm. or whether it was over-designed is that if you can accidentally play the game incorrectly and leave things out mm-hmm. and the game still feels like you're playing it correctly, then odds are there were more things in there than there needed to be.
0: Right. And so is that something you guys do in design is ask yourself, okay, there's this thing, even though though I spent like four days trying to get this one thing right, can I take it out and it's still okay?
3: That's something that we usually have to look at towards the very end of the process. Mm -hmm. Um, You do a lot of that when you're trying to write the rules document. If you're writing the rules and you realize you're you're six pages in just to to explain this one subroutine... You really have to start looking at that subroutine and, and asking, what can I do to get this down to one or two pages of rules?
0: Right. So on, on page eight, you say, now that the board is set up, see Appendix A to see how turn one begins. And that's... Yeah, right.
3: that, that's usually a sign of a problem. Yeah. Uh,
0: have, you, have you had any nightmares that were quite that bad? Or uh, is this the kind uh, of thing you wake up in a cold sweat worrying about? Or have you... Yeah, has, has actually, been kind of that,
3: that does happen. Um, I've, I've worked on a couple of projects where, uh, I realize towards the end that, um, in the process of creating all of these little subroutines that balance against each other, Mm -hmm. that I have no idea which one I need to explain first to get somebody through the rules. Um, and if you have to keep putting footnotes in that say, uh, don't worry about remembering this rule, just refer to page 22 Mm -hmm. Uh, when you get there, that, that can be a problem. Have
0: you seen the, uh, the onion article whose title is explanation of board game rules peppered with reassurances that it will be fun?
3: Yes. That's, that's the one where I think they're explaining, uh, Oh God! They're explaining ticket to ride, and it's got a picture of pandemic, or vice uh, no? Versa. It's vice
0: versa. Yeah, they're explaining pandemic, yeah. but it's got a picture of ticket to ride. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Uh, so yeah, that's the kind of thing that always worries me. I, you know, my wife and I, we we like to play board games, uh, and you know, when when we can, we like to play board games with friends. But we have one or two board games that are on the shelf that uh, I'm not going to name names on the games, but we've purchased them and then we attempted to learn how to play them by ourselves after oh a glass or two of wine and then we're mm-hmm. like you know this is just way too complex we could we could just play something simpler instead and i i think that that is something that always worries me about about a game
3: um i've got so many of those i can't i can't even give you an accurate count um i think i've got probably close to a hundred games in my game my, my personal game cabinet right now sure and 20 to 25 of those I've either only played half a game of them or I've never actually started playing a game of them um, a lot of those are, are, are games where uh, uh, I've read or heard from people boy you really have to try this game you, you should own this game it should be part of your collection. And so I pick it up, or I put it on a Christmas list, and someone sends it to me, and then I just keep on going back to the games that I know I love and enjoy. Right. Uh, So I'm not going to ask you
0: to pick a a favorite child, uh, as it were, on board games, but let me ask this. Sure. Are, Are there any really good games that folks might not have heard of. I'm not asking for like super obscure, like you could only get one copy of this if you were in the right place mm-hmm. in a bar in Sweden. But I mean, you know, not necessarily just the mainstream, you know, but I, I, I'm trying to pick the name of a, a... So not like, oh yeah, everyone should play Pandemic, but have you got anything more obscure that you enjoy that you think people might want to check out?
3: Oh, oh boy. Um, well, I think my favorite game for uh the last year or so has been Caverna. Averna. Which uh yeah, it's uh about a twenty pound box full of cardboard and wood. Wow. Um it, it it's it's a game that has so many little pieces that I recommend that if you're gonna go out and pick up a copy. You should also also go to the container store and mm-hmm. get a little case for hardware uh because you're gonna want a way to consistently sort and and uh, organize all the pieces for it. It's, um, it's the follow up to Agricola. It's by a guy named Huey Rosenberg.
0: Oh, okay, sure. Yeah.
3: Um, and, and Agricola for a long time had the nickname Misery Farmer because it's a game where the first, yeah, the first four or five times you play it, you're probably just going to watch your family starve to death, uh, in game, not, not out of game. Right. I mean, right. I guess both could happen, but, uh, Caverna, I think, sort of softened the curve a little bit and gave you more ways to, um, build up your stockpiles before the game really started turning vicious towards you. Uh, but it's, it's a game that has a lot of roots to victory. You're, you're, uh, Growing crops and you're digging a mine underneath a, a mountain and you're trying to uh mine ore and rubies and send your dwarves out on uh, uh adventures to bring back things like sheep and fences
2: mm-hmm.
3: um it's it's a it's a really fun game it'll probably take you a, a playthrough or two to to really uh, feel like you have a grasp of it but once you've Gotten a feel for the different routes to victory or the different routes to, to success even. Um, it can be a ton of fun. Right. Um, I think, uh, I understand you and Rich had talked about, uh, Settlers of Catan. Certainly. Yes. I think that anyone that's played Catan and enjoyed it owes it to themselves to find Cities and Knights of Catan, which is an expansion for it. Mm-hmm um once you've played Cities & Knights you'll probably never want to go back to the original Catan. Uh so it just what, adds a lot of
0: Yes, cuz oh, does it do that makes it better.
3: It adds some depth uh in terms of um making your uh empire growth distinctly different from other players empire growth. Okay. Uh gives you gives you a few more uh options and 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 ways to um well, accrue victory points, uh, and, and distinguish your own,
2: mm-hmm.
3: your own, uh, victory. Stone Age, that's a really good game. Uh, I'm just looking at my cabinet here, kinda, kinda peeking through and, uh, seeing which ones I should recommend to you. Stone Age is really good. Uh, it's a pretty good, uh, I would say entry level game, but you probably want to be learning it from someone else, mm-hmm. uh, so that later on then you can then teach it to other people. Uh, but it's a, it's an easy one once you understand how to play it. It's an easy one to teach. Um uh, and that's a, it's a resource collection and worker placement game. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of fun. It's one that my wife and I will, will pull out every year or so and, and play like six games in a row of it because it works great for two players.
0: Yeah, I'm always on the lookout for good two-player games. Um, one one that I'm going to recommend that Rich and I didn't talk about earlier, but I'd kind of like to hear your opinion of uh, is the game Lost Cities. Yeah, not not the Lost Cities board game because that's no, that's another no. You're product, talking about the, the original. You're talking about
3: the Reiner Knizia card game. Yes. So Reiner Knizia has a, a reputation for having very mathy games. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's neither a good thing nor a bad thing. That's just that's kind of where he designs from is he finds a a really interesting sort of mathematical or or geometric concept. And then he'll um, flesh that out a little bit and and give it some art direction and flavor. Um, But you're always going to be able to see the underlying math in right. his games. It's it's just sort of a trademark. It's like you know Frank Lloyd Wright when you see Frank Lloyd Wright.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know Rainer Knizia when you see Rainer Um It's a it's a quick game to pick up. It's got a lot of tactical decision making. Well, I get I, I don't know if a lot of tactical decision making is is the right way to put it because the tactical decisions you'll make uh, are are consistent throughout the game but you'll see points where um uh, knowing when to hold them and when to fold them so to speak
2: yeah.
0: uh will
3: make or break your 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 victory
0: and that's uh that game actually neatly illustrates uh another point maybe maybe my final point i want to pick your brain on here tonight uh although man we got we got to get you on next time we talk about board games cuz this is this is such a ripe topic uh, yeah I think that Lost Cities is a pretty good example. So for those those who've never played it, I'll give you the quick like 2-minute hey, let's go play this rundown. Uh you and the other player are uh essentially mounting an expedition to go seek out treasure and glory. And uh you do this by putting together these expedition I I I I don't really know exactly how to explain it you're playing a it's a sequence of,
3: of cards. numbered cards yeah, yeah it's a
0: sequence specifically and uh you always have to play a higher number in that color sequence right but you know so like let's say i've laid down the 2 in red if i have the 8 in red i can lay that down but if i later draw the 5 in red
3: i can't slip that in you're there stuck in with the it. middle and both players are playing from the same deck Right. And there's only one copy of each card in each color. So if I'm holding, I think you're holding like 10 cards at a time. Yeah, your you're holding a lot. It's a, it's a mitful. Yeah. So if I'm holding uh green 2, 4, 7, 8 and 10, um I can attempt to start playing those out in the hopes that you don't throw away uh in a discard phase uh the, the 6 or the 9 because if i don't make a minimum number of points in the the expedition the green expedition that i'm building i come out with negative points yeah so there's there's a little bit of um uh risk taking and risk management um if if you see that i lead with the the 1 2 and 3 and you've got the high numbers sometimes it's in your in your best interest to wait until a lot later in the game to play any of those high numbers because you can bait me into chasing a an expedition that you know I can't finish.
0: Yeah, uh, but I think it's a great illustration of something that's got a degree of strategy where knowing what you're doing can help you a lot, but there's also a degree of randomness because if you don't draw the card that you need, mm-hmm. it may not help at all regardless of what your strategy was. And I think that that is a tricky but super important balance for a game to have. If you want a game that it's just the the person who uh, the the person who's played more, the more expert player always wins. We already have that game. It's chess. Yes. And if we wanted to play chess, that's what we would be doing. So we need to introduce some some random element without it just being a coin flip. If that makes sense.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, you go back and, and I learned so much game theory from, from Magic the Gathering just because. Oh, yes. It's a game that's been out there for 25 years and there's, there's so much written about it and there's so much podcasted about it that. We wouldn't uh, know
0: anything about that here on this show. Oh, God,
3: no. No. Um, it it would be impossible to ever try to uh, absorb all of that information. Um, I've spent a lot of time listening to uh and, and reading um the design focused uh articles about magic um looking at, at why mechanics are designed certain ways or uh what the thought process was behind eliminating or adding certain rules one of the one of the things that comes up uh when you read about magic game theory and, and design is that the game is designed with a certain amount of randomness and luck in place, uh, and no one wants to play a game where uh, the end result is going to be determined entirely by luck or random chance. But having a little bit of that luck and random chance in a game uh, built around strategy still allows players uh, with a lower skill level to feel like they have a shot at winning. So like you said with chess, it's a, a game where... Uh, all information is known at all times. Therefore, the player with a higher degree of skill should win every single time. But Lost Cities, there is hidden information. There's a little bit of randomness in the order that cards are drawn. Either player, regardless of skill level, still has a chance to win or lose because of those things. And I think that is
0: truly a hallmark of great
3: game design. It's finding the right balance there, I think, is the hallmark of great game design. Because there are plenty of games where um for all of the strategic planning you can have uh there are a handful of elements that that come down so randomly that uh you can you can throw away all of the the thought and planning that you've put in. I'm looking at you shoots and ladders. Uh well shoots and ladders there's no strategy. You're not you're not thinking or planning anything.
2: Yeah.
0: You're
3: rolling the dice. I mean that's uh, I would even argue that it it might not be uh proper to call it a game so much as an executable.
0: <laughs> Something where if you just hook up a random number generator to it, the outcome is indistinguishable. It eventually, it'll yeah.
3: Eventually, it it, it'll produce a set of random numbers that gets you to space number one hundred. Now that's fair. That while it's not a game, it still has value. It's going to teach your your kids to take turns and be patient and not throw temper tantrums when they lose. Um, but it's the not going to nature them... of
0: life trying to crush no wait a minute I'm exactly
3: it 's not going to teach them anything about uh, decision making and and planning and strategy, right
0: yeah, now that I think about it, I think maybe having kids play shoots and ladders is a terrible idea because it really does teach them that your decisions don 't actually matter it 's the randomness of the universe that does it at least play life, I guess. <wh->
3: Yeah, at least in well, life, it's ironic got some Choices in, in shoots and ladders, there's this, this veil, this, this art direction that says when you, when you pull the cat's tail oh, you're going to go down the chute and the cat's going to rip your face up. Uh, and if you take your vitamins, you'll go up the ladder and be strong and healthy and the hot guy all the chicks want to date. Um. So there's this, this art direction that implies decision making, but in fact there's there's yeah, the the morality uh story being told in shoots and ladders is all a big lie because shoots and ladders is just predestination.
0: Wow, I didn't know that we were gonna take this dark turn at the end. I feel bad about that, but uh there
3: there we are. Huh. Yeah, wait till wait till you find out what Candyland's all about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ah oh, boy. Uh next time. Yeah, I think I think we've shattered enough dreams
3: for one night. I Oh yes. Yeah. Just uh, crush 'em.
0: All right. Well, hey. Um, you know, I I don't know if you have any any other parting wisdom you want to give us. I I do want to hear your input on a whole bunch of other games. Uh but at at this point we're starting to push the uh uh the envelope of the extra bit of the podcast being longer than the original podcast. So I suppose I should probably cut us off so both of us can get some sleep.
2: Uh, Sounds like a good
3: idea.
0: But we will totally have you back on. Uh, oh, I'd love
3: to. I'd love to come back.
0: Is there anything you want to uh, plug or say on the way out? Uh, anything? Anything at all?
3: Oh boy, um, th- there's there's plenty of stuff I'd love to plug, but uh, uh, I'd probably be breaking contractual agreements. Ah, uh, yeah, fired.
0: that's fair. That's so, fair. You uh, are you are a yeah, prototype. So many
3: works. secret things I could tell you about. Can
0: I also no. say? Uh, Just on behalf of someone somewhere who I'm sure has been saying similar things to their phone and or iPod, you know, you kind of suck, you bastard. You're in the candy store. You're free to do whatever you want. It sounds like an amazing job. And there's so many of us who, who don't get to do that. And seriously, I think it's absolutely awesome that you get to do what you do
3: i i'm 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 never going to deny uh it's an awesome job but i I can assure you there are plenty of days where it's still just a job oh I'm sure and you are. sit there with a a project in front of you and you're trying to dial something in, and it's like you're just smashing your face against a wall for day after day after day to just get that one thing right that won't won't tie in properly
0: mm-hmm. Well, we'll still be envious anyway, grass is always greener and whatnot. <laughs>
3: All right. I, I can live with that. Okay. Fair enough.
0: Um, so uh, we, will, we will, I guess, throw a link to your parent company's website in our, uh, our, our show notes if there's anybody out there who's thinking to themselves, oh, I work for a company that needs a game designed. Um, maybe they could uh, find you that way. I don't know if you want to throw out any, any Twitter information or anything like that, but we can link those in the show notes uh, as well.
3: Sure. Um, you can find me at, uh, at want to see more W A N T T O S E E M O R E on Twitter. Um, the company website is forestprusan.com, That's F O R R E S T hyphen P R U Z A N.com. Um, And I can also say if you're in the uh, Seattle area and you're listening and you want to become a a play tester for us, we we keep a a database of people who like playing games and we have people into the office uh, to test games as we're working on them. So, uh, yeah, if you're in the Seattle area, go to the website, sign up to be a play tester and we'll get in touch with you.
0: All right. Absolutely awesome. And if I were in the Seattle area, I would totally do that. But it's a heck of a commute
3: from You should you should be in the Seattle area more often.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree, but man, I've got an actual job that wants me at it every day and yeah, so do sneak I guess away so often But I'll do I'll do what I can. I will absolutely All right. do what I can. Well, thank you so much, Fletch, for joining us. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it back hey, to, me. To, to me and Rich just right over there and we'll just we'll 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 see you all later on
3: okay we'll do
1: well that was a great interview close
0: yeah i know wasn't it i'm glad i'm glad you had to listen to that after by going back in time but now that's that there it is look if we missed if we missed a game that you want us to talk about uh or if one of these games that we talked about you're like oh man you guys are so totally wrong about that that game is garbage how dare you look we'd like to hear from you We totally. If you
1: tell me Small World's garbage, we will not listen to you.
0: Yeah, if you send that to the email, I'm not telling Rich. I'm just putting it out there, okay? Uh, So you can get a hold of us a couple of different ways. Uh, One of the ways is through the Twitters. We are at RandomDiscard on the Twitters. Uh, You can email us. We are RandomDiscardCast at gmail.com. All one word, RandomDiscardCast, because we are a podcast. If you want to reach me directly, uh, either one of those will work, because I check those. But you can also hit me up on the Twitters. I am at LockLuzet, spelled just like it is in Ye Oldie show notes.
1: I am at MindMage. The
0: A in Mage is a four. That's also in Ye Oldie show notes. So, there you go. We will return to this topic with a second round of board
1: games, I'm sure. We we have to. We barely scratched the surface. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, I feel like it may be soon, because this is... This is a meaty subject.
1: Well, just because uh, my friends and I started a uh, gaming group for me and my friends to get together on a very regular basis, mm-hmm. and we started doing a Star Wars Imperial Assault, hmm. and it's a board game that's campaign-based. Interesting. And so it takes, you know, weeks to play, and so we haven't even touched on those. No, no, we have not. I mean, there's this out there, and honestly, um, I don't know, I think, because me and my friends, I think we're actually going to start D&D, and I've never played D&D, and I know you have.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: And so I actually want to do an episode on that as well, coming up. Not saying anytime soon, because I haven't played yet. So it might wait until we actually, I've actually played. Or it actually might not be a terrible idea to do it before I play.
0: Yes, I think it's a good idea. I, we should do a pair of shows. One before you play, and then uh, then one after.
1: Because it's something I've always wanted to play growing up. Always, because it really appeals to me. Sure. But none of my friends growing up played. None of them. Which is not super uncommon. But then I got to the point, you know, like I'm... 30 now, 31, and I've never played it, and I've always wanted to. And I finally have friends that, like, some have never played it, but I've always wanted to, or some have played it a little, so we're like, let's just do it. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So so I'm, I'm really excited to start that. Um, yeah, that's well, some, so that's something I'm lo- really looking forward to.
0: D- do you know what I'm doing right now, Rich?
1: Um,
0: I'm calling up the document entitled Future Shows, and yes. I'm adding this. Nice. I'm totally adding this. D and D, maybe before and after a question mark? I think that's a good idea. All right, well, great. There's there's another thing that is on our docket that is coming down the road at some point. Let's say I don't know when exactly, but we'll make it happen. Uh, all right, great. Well, let's leave it there. We'll table it for now. <laughs> table it. Board games. Somebody uh, Did that. Get it. Uh, tabletop. Oh, okay.
1: Just just a real quick. Um, this uh, not advertisement for anyone, but um, Will Wheaton does have a show on Geek and Sundry called Tabletop. Ah, yeah, and he it's does. A it's a great place to just learn and maybe find new games to play i found games on there that i love playing now so you get an idea of the rule he'll gives you a basic idea of the rules they're not always playing perfectly but no one always plays a game perfectly so it's yeah. just something to look into if you like board games or are looking to find new ones there's a lot of really good ones on there
0: okay well seriously we're, we're pulling the plug we'll be back Catch us again on a future episode of Random Discard. Uh, Thank you all very much for listening. We will see you all next time.
1: You know it's funny Will Wheaton's motto is don't be a dick.
0: It is and I love you it. You watch it Tabletop,
1: is. he's a dick a lot. Uh yes, that is that is accurate.
0: That is accurate. And that's a stinger.